Hello, this is Mark Shaw and Mark Shaw Investigates, where we probe injustices in the most explosive criminal cases of the 20th century, and Ameri 20th century American history and beyond, with my motto to identify and investigate distortions of that history and rectify them through my belief that the dead cannot cry out for justice. It is the duty of the living to do so for them. And we're going to have a guest today who does just that. That's a quote, by the way, by Louis McMaster Bougeau, a famous novelist. As far as who I am, uh, it's, a co it's complicated. Uh, I'm a guy who hasn't uh, really been able to keep a job uh, for very long throughout my career, but it's been interesting for sure. I started as a criminal defense lawyer in, uh, in Indianapolis, handling almost all of the time uh, high-profile murder cases. And um, that was a, an amazing time of my life because I had never imagined after almost flunking out of college that I could do that. But for several years, I uh, represented people uh, at one time as co-counsel of the famous lawyer, F.B. Bailey. And uh, after a while though, I'd had a string of acquittals that I decided there was something else I wanted to do in my life. And so I began to uh, work in the uh, television arena um, analyzing uh, uh, high-profile cases for the networks. The first one was the Mike Tyson case, then O.J. Simpson, uh, then uh, Kobe Bryant. And since then, uh, then I began, after that, I began uh, writing my books. The first one was Down for the Count about the Mike Tyson trial. Since then, it's amazing to believe, uh, believe but I've uh, uh, written more than 30 books. And uh, the last six or seven of them have all been connected to the JFK assassination. I learned about it kind of by accident when I started uh, uh, finding out about a, an amazing reporter, uh, a woman of integrity, uh, a woman that was called the most uh, powerful female voice in America uh, by uh, uh, the New York Post in the 1960s, Dorothy Kilgallen. And uh, I began writing the books uh, with the first one, uh, a biography of Melvin Belli, who represented Jack Ruby uh, Lee Harvey, or excuse me, Jack Ruby, represented Jack Ruby, Melvin Belli, and uh, I wrote that biography, and then I wrote a book about the Kennedys, J, uh, JFK, his, his uh, father Joe, and Bobby Kennedy fixing the 1960 election uh, by using the mafia to help them win Illinois and West Virginia, and during that uh, research, I learned more about Dorothy Kilgallen, which led to my next book, which is the best-selling The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, all about Dorothy Kilgallen her life and times, and her 18-month investigation of the JFK assassination. I followed that up with Denial of Justice, which for the first time uh, uh, exposed the Ruby trial transcripts, which Dorothy knew about uh, the testimony because she was right there at the front row in the, at, the, uh, at the Ruby trial, uh, the only reporter out of 400 to, rep to interview Jack Ruby. Followed it up with Collateral Damage, which for the first time uh, I proved the connections between the deaths of Marilyn Monroe, JFK, and Dorothy Kilgallen. That's quite an interesting uh, story as to how that happened, and one of these days I'll tell it on my podcast. The final one is uh, uh, Fighting for Justice, which was just released uh, the first part of this year, and uh, it really is an amazing book because I never knew about all of the corruption at the Warren Commission, and I've exposed it for the first time based on a first-hand account from one of the commission members, legislative assistants, and uh, that, that is shocking material because not only did they cover up the truth at the Warren Commission, but they destroyed documents, 
they didn't uh, record certain uh, um, uh, conferences that the members had, and it's it's really just uh, very disappointing and, and, and disturbing as to how the uh, Warren Commission, through the efforts of uh, of uh, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, LBJ, uh, uh, Earl Warren, and Alan Dulles, uh, closed the door on any uh, any and all investigations of other possible suspects in the uh, JFK assassination other than Lee Harvey Oswald. If you'd like to look at a recent uh, interview that I did for the Commonwealth Club of San Francisco uh, this past Tuesday, uh, outlining what I've learned uh, with uh, the book uh, Fighting for Justice, it can be found uh, by going to the, uh, I should have had the uh, uh, the um, uh, link up, but uh, just go to uh, YouTube. It's up on YouTube now. Go to YouTube, Mark Shaw, the Commonwealth Club of San Francisco, Fighting for Justice, and it will pop up for sure. So that's kind of who I am. You can find out more about me at my website, markshawbooks.com. My email address is mshawin at yahoo.com. Uh, and I, and I, uh, there's, there's a little bit of the video right there. Thank you, uh, my producer mm -hmm. is putting it up there. Um, it's amazing, by the way. It was put up on, the, on YouTube. Uh, just uh, two days ago, and there are now 25,000 views. In all, by the way, my uh, interviews on YouTube for my last uh, four books have garnered, uh, it's hard to even say this, garnered more than 11 million uh, YouTube views. It's something That's I crazy. could never have even imagined would happen. But we're not going to talk about that all, all today. We're going to talk about an amazing guest that I have, a superb author, uh, and all of that, but first, let's watch this video because because it kind of it, it, because it will kind of set up what we're going to talk about with my guest William Ramsey. So that's a shocking video for sure, and uh, uh, we're going to talk about uh, many of those cases that uh, you got a glimpse of with the video. But my guest is William Ramsey, and I first learned about William when he contacted me and was kind enough to have me on his podcast. And I know uh, my producer will put up his. Uh, uh, the posting, uh, the link to that, uh, as well as link to his website and his books and all of that. So you'll know how to get in touch with him. But I was on that program and I was very impressed with the way that he interrogated me about my research uh, with Dorothy Kilgallen and the uh, JFK assassination. He's an attorney, author, and researcher. Uh, Mr. Ramsey's a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, with a degree in history. He also has his uh, legal license, his JD, and is a member of the State Bar of California. When I read all that, I was rather intimidated. It's obvious that he is much smarter than I am. Uh, Mr. Ramsey, and Ramsey investigates, uh, he's an independent investigative journalist, broadcast covering a variety of subjects, including politics and parapolitics, true crime, history, conspiracies, religion, cults, exposing the occult, and more. He is a busy fellow. Also, he's written, uh, I don't know how many books, but uh, uh, we can probably put up uh, a bit of a view of that. But uh, there's the Smiley Face Killers, which we're going to talk about today. And that uh, obviously is the material that's in the video. He also result, re, uh, wrote and, and published Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, about the 9-11, uh, you know, the 9-11 episode, Children of the Beast, Global Death Cult, Abomination, Devil Worship, and the Deception, uh, a biography, I believe this is, of Aleister Crowley, and so on and so forth. So he's, I guess you would say we do have something in common. Um, he's a prolific, prolific author, and, and, and so am I. And so we, we have that. I love a quote that he has up on his uh, website, 
you know, I, I use the one that uh, says that, you know, I must go ahead and, and uh, investigate uh, the deaths of, of certain people because they can't fight back for themselves. They, they can't do it. They're dead. They're gone. So it takes someone like me to be the voice. And uh, kind of accidentally, I became the voice for, for Marilyn Monroe and proved in my books that uh, she did not commit suicide, but, was, but Bobby Kennedy was complicit in her death uh, because uh, she was about to uh, tell the media about uh, matters of national security that John Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy told her. I become the voice for, for Jack Kennedy, uh, President Kennedy, and on the 60th anniversary of his, uh, of his assassination, I've been able to prove that he was denied justice as well because of the corruption in the Warren Commission, and certainly with Dorothy Kilgallen through my best-selling book, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, and the other books that she did not overdose on drugs in 1965, but was silenced by J. Edgar Hoover and his uh, agents because she was writing a tell-all book for Random House about corruption at the Warren Commission and much more. Uh, the, Mr. Ramsey has a podcast, and it's in the top 0.5% of podcasts in the world based on uh, certain analytics. He's done one more than 1,000 episodes, that's for sure. Uh, he will give you the, uh, uh, any producer will give you the website information, the email, and how to get a hold of his podcast. So, Mr. Uh, Ramsey, thanks for being on the program today. Um, this book is an amazing book. It's a must-read for anybody, uh, especially. We share another uh, similarity because uh, my my books, at least the last three, are true crime murder mysteries. And believe me, this book is packed with true crime murder mysteries. And and it really really interested me to begin with because. Uh, I can tell how good a researcher he is, that uh, he, he's a lot like Dorothy Kilgallen, for instance, you know, uh, the po most powerful female voice in America. She was a woman of integrity. She tracked down the evidence. She didn't speculate and all that. And uh, Mr. Ramsey is, is a man of integrity, author of integrity, as I found out by writing, uh, by reading about uh, him and these books and everything. So let's get to the Smiley uh, Face Killer, Killer's Conspiracy. And uh, if you can, uh, what was, was it most interesting in the beginning of the book, uh, Mr. Ramsey, you told me, I'm going to call you William. William, you told me what triggered your interest in, in these deaths and give people kind of an overview, as you did in the documentary, as to what was going on, I think, guess since, uh, you know, years and years ago, even to present day, if you would. Yeah, Mark, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, this whole sequence of events kind of come, came across my field of vision when I was researching my third book about Aleister Crowley and his influence on the 20th century. And I kept seeing this smiley face symbol. I didn't really think much of it at the time, but then during that research, I remember recalling this something that I thought was an urban myth or was like a, a fake story about these young men disappearing later to be found in water. It was called the smiley face killers kind of story. And so as I was researching Crowley, I kept seeing this and so I went back and did some research, and I uh, that's really kind of when it started. I kind of read the original kind of two investigators, Gannon and Gilbertson, read their book, Case Studies in Forensic Drowning, and listened to a Coast to Coast show that wow. featured a woman who was right in that, uh, that trailer that we watched at the intro. And so that kind of piqued my interest. Is this real? Is this something? Is this a phenomenon that's happening? Because I didn't know it at the time. This is probably 2016. 
so seven years ago. And then I started kind of following people online who were interested in researching the topic and met up with other researchers. There's a Smiley Face uh, Killers group on Facebook. And then that kind of led to my first case, the, the one that I watched somebody disappear later to be found in water. His name was Joey Labute. And that was in 2016. He disappeared out of Columbus, Ohio. And it fit the same pattern. This fits the same pattern over and over. Young man out at a bar late at night, dis uh, gets separated from friends, disappears. There's a huge search. The family shows up. They say something suspicious is happening. There's a police inquiry and an investigation. And then later the body's found. So Joe Labute was found in the Scioto River 19 mm -hmm. days after he disappeared. So that's really where it clicked for me. And then start. Yeah, let's, let's not brush over this because people get, you know, you're a, you're a visual writer like I am. Let's not let's not brush over this because you have to think about. And if you would describe your own feelings about, you you can say that that gentleman died, but what basically happened is that he was doing nothing wrong. Uh, many of these cases in here, and I want to talk about the ones that are most important to you and the most important, I think, to our uh, listeners or viewers. Um, they weren't doing anything wrong. There's similarities there, but uh, their lives were ended at a, at a very early age in a very violent way uh, with, with very little uh, explanation as to why they happened and all of that. So you must have at times just, you know, you had so much research to look into. And sometimes that's uh, prohibitive with regard to a good researcher that's, that's writing a book or whatever. But what, what, what were your emotions when, when you first uh, looked into many of these cases? Shock, really. Like, I was surprised that this is actually happening. Like, I was really kind of thrown for a loop once I realized that this phenomenon is real. And it's happening over and over, almost like on a cyclical basis. So I, that's what led me to write my first documentary. That trailer we watched was for my first documentary in 2017. It's three and a half hours long. It covers like 84 cases. Oh, well, yeah, it's uh, it's not a, it's very unpleasant also to watch the family suffer and they don't have a re resolution and somebody isn't caught. So maybe in, like you said, they were doing nothing. They're just out at night. They, I think a lot of, the, if not all of these people who've been found in water weren't in a place where they thought they were in danger. They thought that they were just out having a nice evening at a bar or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where they met some misadventure. Um, I think that all of these cases share that same thing is that the families are lost and you saw the mother of one of these loved ones, you live with her, have to live with a broken heart. So it's happened over and over and over again of these, like you said, young men who had a lot of promise, college students, intelligent, often good looking guys, athletes. So mm -hmm. it's something that's been going on and it really started back in the late nineties, but it's, uh, it gains steam. Like, I mean, if you, if you read the book, obviously in the last couple of years, it's just really prop, cop, propped up or cropped up in Chicago, Austin, places that may not have people have thought, Houston as well, Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's becoming more this phenomenon. It has a wider, broader. Uh, and, and, for those, and for those families, there's no closure because they, they you know, it's, it's it's one thing to lose a loved one, and if you know what happened, it's hard enough. But when you don't know what happened, uh, by the way, the, uh, the subtitle here is quite interesting. The Smiley Face Killers, and you can see then the, the, uh, the character on the, on, the, on the cover. It even scares me just looking at it. 
investigating suspicious water deaths of college-aged men in the U.S. and the world. So we're talking about what age group are we talking about with most of the cases, and how many are there that you would suggest uh, are connected? I would say that the college age is, is you know, 21, uh, not 20 to 25 maybe, okay. somewhere around there. But, I mean, that's a standard mean. There's some older ones, some younger ones at times. But it's mm -hmm. something to do with the fact that they're out of the house and on their own seems to be the case. None of them have jobs or are going to school. So it seems uh, an odd kind of target audience. And then I compiled at the back of the book after looking through, I have three over 300 cases. Like I put together 360 cases yeah. all around the world. So it's a really a remarkable thing. Whether they're connected or not, I, I can't say. They're connected by the similar MO, the similar M modus operandi. But whether I think that there's probably groups or individuals committing these crimes. But yeah, I don't know how many you could chalk up to one person or one group. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, many of the many of the people that are watching or listening are going to feel just like I have. Why don't why haven't we heard about this? Uh, has, has it been? I, I I have trouble at times when I, I uh, bring out my facts about the JFK assassination uh, that that uh, the mainstream media just isn't interested in because most of the time all they're looking for is the Oswald alone theory or some crazy conspiracy theory that makes no sense whatsoever. My, my books, um, just like yours, are based on uh, uh, primary source witnesses uh, that you talk to and you interview and you, or documents that are very, very credible and all of that. But the mainstream media at times, especially on the extreme side, really isn't interested in the truth many times. I found that for sure true about Marilyn Monroe's death and Dorothy's too. And so what they do is they, they find out, they figure out what they're, sensational headlines is going to be and then they uh, connect what what they want to with that sensational headline instead of going out like a real researcher and finding out what happened so uh, why why haven't we learned with all of these deaths and you're, you're right you have more than 300 of those uh, why why haven't we heard more about these smiley face killers um, you know in the in mainstream media and I want to just ask you this before you answer is it because of, of what they're called? The smiley face killers. I mean, we, we normal normally associate smiley face with happy things. Right. So um, you know, maybe you can even dive a little bit into why you think that the smiley face has been used, uh, and you can explain about. I saw one was carved into a tree where a, a person, a, a man, had died. So why haven't we heard about uh, these cases more in the in the mainstream media? I think that the people in the mainstream media made, like you said, the journalism seems to be declining in quality over time. Mm -hmm. But I think that it takes time to look into this. I mean, one of the purposes of this book is to make it clear to people that something's happening. At a time when I when I first researched this, I didn't think the phenomenon was real. So this book is an attempt to kind of solidify the reality of this phenomenon in the public mind. But I think that it's kind of harder, like some people might brush over it. They may see only little pieces of it. So these events in Chicago, a lot of people in Chicago, they just thought that the recent water deaths in the last 12 months were just a Chicago event. Same thing in Austin. They had a name for it in Austin, the Rainy Street Ripper, which is kind of a party area in downtown Austin. So they didn't see it in the broader context of like, hey, this has been happening in Boston and New York and all along, you know, Lake Michigan and... Uh, other places all over the world. So uh, definitely Manchester. 
Well, I've so got to ask you this because it's, it's another similarity I think we have. When researchers, investigative reporters like us do what we do, sometimes we're not very popular. And I get emails, you know, I've gotten almost 5,000 emails in the last uh, four, three or four years. And many of them, like, like recently here, when this video of my latest uh, interviews up on YouTube, boy, you know, I, I actually wore a, 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 a fedora on the, uh, on the broadcast. And boy, how can you, this guy, how can you believe him? Because he's wearing a hat indoors, things like that, you know, and, and, and all of this. And so we're not very popular. And I'm wondering whether you've, you've gotten some blowback with regard to looking into this, because there are those who believe that this is all just a bunch of junk. There's, there's, you know, it, it, there's no way that they could all be connected. And maybe as part of that, William, I'm sorry to ask uh, too broad a question, but give people an idea about what you're talking about with so many of them happening in Chicago, especially in New York, in Austin. There, there's like a cluster yes. death at times, correct? Yes. Absolutely. There was a cluster just in 2023 in Chicago, Vancouver, Austin, and Houston, which is very strange because most people wouldn't associate these types of cases for Texas. But uh, yeah, I think that I, I definitely get some hate mail and I have some enemies out there. But I was actually talking to somebody about that just this week. But I like my enemies because they're generally awful. <laughs> and my friends, I'm, I'm happy with the friends I have right now. So uh, I I don't blame people for for disbelieving the research because mm -hmm. it does take time to do this. It takes time to put all the pieces together, but it's very satisfying. It's very gratifying to put this together to show people, hey, I don't believe this is happening. Okay, read my book. And there's a section in my book about debunking the debunkers, right? Because mm -hmm. people have tried to debunk it. There was a center sure. for homicide research. Twelve guys got together and said this whole thing is hogwash. And I'm happy to address that anytime. And people actually send me that article as a means to like, hey, mm -hmm. in your face, you're 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 a conspiracy theorist. And I and I have debunked that whole paper. Like I I'm embarrassed for the people who put it out there because they did shoddy research to get and, to that. And this this is your contribution to history, as as it is for me with what I do. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I, I'm interested to know. Uh, can you tell it all who's who's really interested, fascinated with this and everything? Is there an age group? Is it mostly uh, baby boomers or do you get interest from young people at all in, in what you've uncovered, uh, William? I think it's true crime. I think this is in the true crime genre, which people are very interested in. So I think they're the ones who are curious about this. But I'm glad that you said this is like my com contribution from history, because in my book, you'll see all the other people who've contributed to this book. Because it's not just my story. I actually use that in the first sentence of the book. This book is a history of the research into the Smiley right, Face. You do. So I include people like Coast to Coast Radio, eponymous rocks that people may not know, who studied it before me. Jeff Gannon and Gilbertson I include. Footprints of the River's Edge, which is an incredible website. Some people don't know. Uh, Cryptid Antiquarian, this uh, person, Elias Jagger, who I interviewed, who just covered the Boston cases. And she had 2,000 comments. You talk about comments on certain things. Like she was writing really interesting blog posts. But then all of a sudden her, her viewership and, and comments just spiked way high because people were really interested. And they can see the pattern. They can see that people are disappearing and showing up in the river. But nobody knows what happens from their disappearance to the river, right? Let's, so, let's set that up exactly. So one of the similarities 
is the fact that let's just see if I get this right. Uh, you've got a young man. I think there have been some women, but for the most part, 95% of them are young men, college age. They seem to go out at night uh, by themselves. Some of them go to bars and it's, it's uh, ex exposed that they, they drank too much. And so they were thrown out of the bar and then they're near a river or a lake or something like that. And all at once they don't show up anywhere. And I even saw where Bruce Springsteen at one point, uh, uh, you know, back to them trying to find one of the one of the victims. We want to talk about Obama's Garcia, Garcia. Point, but, you Garcia. know, it, they, they, they disappear. And then there's this huge search, friends, family, the police, everything. Many most of the time they can't find them. And then it's days, even months, I don't know if years, but uh, where where the body is finally found in a shallow portion of the of water in a lake or a river. It may not even be close to where they were last seen. And and the investigations and basically the, the police give up at some point and, and all of that. And then uh, one of the things that connects them is that there is this, um, this, this uh, you know, the smiley face killer uh, killers there someplace uh, around where they die and and so on and so forth and if it weren't for people like you uh, there would they, this would have never been exposed to anybody uh, out there in the public yeah now I go back to an earlier question why is the smiley how did it get this name how did this Good. like you know sometimes serial killers have a tag or there's a type of killing that gets you know a black like the was it the black widow woman who's always poisoning her husbands or whatever. Right, right. But this got its name from Gilbertson and Gannon, who separately noticed these cases were happening and separately found symbolism. And this was the symbol that they saw. So that's how it kind of got its name, and it stuck. And you can take this, you can take the symbol out, you can take the smiley face out of it, and still just call it the phenomenon of young men disappearing later to be found in water. And I think it's just easier to gestalt or just put it all together with the symbol. And that's, that's why it's stuck. I've, I've had the conversation with many people, like, why can't we call it something else? But it, <laughs> yes. just, it was just their kind of thing. But uh, yeah, and you mentioned uh, Bruce Springsteen, Franco Garcia, that was a Boston yes. case. And one of the things that uh, also commonly happens in some of these cases is the area where they're found is previously searched. So Franco Garcia was found in a very placid uh, reservoir, like, if you fell in, you would just stand up and get out. Like there's nothing prevent. It's not like a fast rushing river. Like, and, and it was previously searched and then a jogger in the morning, you know, comes by and they, there's something over there and he gets found. So very mysterious. That, that is one case that fits this kind of profile almost perfectly. Well, and we see, we see, uh, excuse me, but we see in present day, that kind of situation too. Just look at the uh, mass killing up in Maine and they had already searched that area and, and thought they, they couldn't find this guy only to, to figure out that he was inside that trailer and all that. So, um, you know, I always had a good relationship with police when I was a criminal defense lawyer. I had my job to do. They had their job to do. But uh, many times, you know, the key there is close the, closure, close the cases, clear the cases as quickly as you can and move on to the next one. That's why there was no investigation of Dorothy Kilgallen's death, even though there was a staged death scene and so many other indications that she was murdered. Same with Marilyn. Get it over with. Uh, assign three psychiatrists to a panel that said she was crazy and was going to commit suicide. Look at what happened with JFK. J. Edgar Hoover quickly confiscated the Dallas Police Department 
files, sent the body to Washington, D.C., even though he had no authority to do so, shouted Oswald alone to the, to the world, and case done, you know, done. He, he wasn't going to let anybody believe that there were other others who could have done that. So when you've looked at the investigations by police of these various cases, and you mentioned almost 300 of them that you know of, what have been your impressions of the police? Have they really done their job? Not, not to me in these cases. It seems like they're just chalked up to accidental drowning. I think it's the easiest thing. There yeah, have yeah. been some. There have been changes. Like I talk about the Chris Jenkins case, particularly one of the earlier cases out of Minnesota, where the mother, due to her persistence, and the families are very important in these whole stories. Almost all of the families reject the conclusion of accidental drowning. That's should. That's very telling. So none of them believe it. They don't believe their kid was like that. Some of these kids are very straight-laced, non-drinkers. So the, yeah, there's a right. commonly held notion that they're all out chugging, you know, you know, beer after beer after beer. Some of these guys have only had one or two drinks and then start acting strangely. So it leads me to believe they were drunk. But anyway, the Chris Jenkins case, after the persistence of the mom, mom who's written a book about her sons and the loss. I mean, that's just another heartbreaking story, right? Like the family mm -hmm. is like a super talented guy. Mm -hmm. But due to her persistence, the police changed their conclusion in the police report from accidental to, I forgot what, the, it was either a murder or something. So they believe mm -hmm. that Chris Jenkins was murdered. I see. Okay. And one of the interesting things about Jenkins too was that he didn't have any bruises. See, he was always playing lacrosse. He was actually a lacrosse goalie. So people were hitting him with the lacrosse stick, if not the ball, mm -hmm. all the time. So he had bruises on his body, which leads people to believe or lead me to believe or other researchers, they, the family hired a, a, a private investigator, that he was held for a time. So he healed, his body healed. So he wasn't dead from the time that he supposedly disappeared. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about some of these cases. I was interested when you talked about the McNeil case uh, happening in February of 97. He disappeared in April. They found his body 50 days, decided probably was a suicide. But uh, I was most interested because uh, you mentioned that uh, Dr. Sarah Wecht, uh, who I believe is probably the finest forensic scientist who's ever lived. Uh, he's been a great supporter of my books. In fact, he called the... Uh, uh, JFK uh, autopsy in Washington, the worst one he's ever seen in 60,000 of them that he knows about. So he is a very respected man, and he had trouble with the McNeil case. Can you tell people a little bit more about it and then what uh, what uh, his opinion meant at that time? Yeah, he's been involved in a few of the cases. He was also involved in the Coda James case, uh, so he's talked to the parents and Gannon and Gilbertson. I interviewed him, too, about his book, too, so... Yeah, I really think he's an amazing person. He is. We're super smart. I mean, it's really hard to get a law degree. He has a law degree and a medical degree. You're like, wow. Exactly. Anyway, and still kicking. I think he's in his 80s and still working. Um, maybe even older. Anyway, so what happened with the McNeil case is that the police said, your son drowned. We found him. And then they realized, well, I want to see the autopsy. So they hadn't had the autopsy immediately. But I think like somewhere five or seven years down the road, they got the autopsy and they had a completely different uh, information than once they gave it to what Cyril Wecht, it had completely different information in there than what the police told the family. And what Cyril Wecht said on the record, and it's in my book, is that McNeil was held. It looked like he was in a chair and blowtorched and hit in the head with like a, 
a hammer or something like he had a wound to his head which the police never divulged so it's not even close to being consistent with an accidental drowning or misadventure like that it's like intentional so mm -hmm. uh he's a very important figure in a lot of these cases because the same thing happened with dakota james in pittsburgh pa where he was found 40 days later they don't the police don't tell anything to the family the loved ones right. he gets the autopsy he says what's this what's this rash around dakota james's neck this is so obvious. Like, I'm not even a doctor. I can see it for myself. Like, somebody had something around Dakota James's neck. It's a really cruel, uh, really horrible, like, um, brutality in some of these cases. And the evidence is there. And, and Cyril Wecht has found it. I'll tell you what. I think I'll see if you agree with this statement by me. I, I found it to be true when I was a criminal defense lawyer, uh, especially when I was looking into motive and all of that kind of thing. But if you really want to, and, and also with the Marilyn Dorothy and JFK's death, if you want to cover up a murder, just fake the autopsy. And uh, that, that has happened so often uh, with, with Dorothy Kilgallen's death. Quickly, they used a junior medical examiner in the New York DA, New York uh, Medical Examiner's Office, who came over there and took one look at the fact that there was a second all bottle uh, by her, empty bottle by her bed, uh, decided she was another one of these celebrities who overdosed. And they, she, they went back to the, he went back to the, office and and then they put out the uh, uh this to the media that she'd overdosed on barbiturates circumstances undetermined well not too long ago maybe it's the first part of last you know first part of this year i uh you know talked to a, a forensic science uh, scientist um oh gee i'm trying to think of his name right now but anyway he had signed that autopsy and i confronted him on this new york radio show and said uh, hey uh listen you signed the autopsy uh you know what 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 really happened here he said well we really didn't know and and so it was Baden, michael Baden, and uh, you know famed forensic scientist and so if you really want to fake a, a, a cover up a murder or whatever you want the uh, the conclusion to be just fake the autopsy because uh three years later after uh, dorothy's case they had uh, they had uh, kept her bodily fluids and two uh friend uh, toxicologists in the in the uh, medical examiner's office who had just been hired, uh, you know, went ahead and, and looked into her bodily fluids. They found three barbiturates, lethal barbiturates in her system, which obviously uh, pointed to her being killed. But uh, they, they, at the beginning, they, they wanted to close that case. That, that was always really bothered me uh, with regard to police work and, and FBI, all of that. They, they want to move on. And so uh, that's what that's why parents get so upset because it's the most important thing in the world to them. And all at once they say, just as I found out with the New York district attorney's office, when I tried to get an investigation of Dorothy's death, they want to move on and they're not interested. It's easier to just say, well, you know, she wasn't harmed and so on and so forth that way. It's disgusting, frankly. It is disgusting. The guy who did the autopsy that Cyril Weck saw in Pittsburgh, he's from Pittsburgh, Cyril Weck, but the guy who did the autopsy on Dakota James, wasn't even an American citizen. He was like a guy from China. So like, he just he just didn't do a good job. And I think that that may be a case, the case in a lot of things, not just out things outside of the smiley face killers phenomenon, is that these guys are just rubber stamping things and not really doing mm -hmm. a, a thorough job that they're mm -hmm. paid to. Um, Same with the cops, right? So it's a consistent thing. Same with the cops. Not it, se it seems to be. That's for sure. I don't want to forget to, so let's just bring that up right now. This website, Footprints uh, in the Sand, I believe. Footprints at the River's Edge. At the River's Edge. T tell uh, the audience about that because 
that's that that was quite an undertaking and you believe it's it's an excellent site i definitely do i highly recommend it so you know a lot of researchers come and go one of the first researchers that i followed on coast to coast she's moved on to you know family life and this is another example of footprints but he did great research um and and uh left it something to see so he covered 140 cases before he kind of moved wow. on people just either have changed jobs or don't have free time anymore but i highly recommend people check that out and i include a whole chapter in my book to that because i think he memorialized a lot of those cases included a lot of information salient information about the cases newspapers allowed people to comment on the website as well so people are sharing information so i definitely highly recommend people you can just go to that website it's still functioning let's talk about motive if if um, it is to be believed that all of these murders and you, you 300 of them you chronicle very well in the back of the book and people can go to the book and i think they'll be shocked at what they read about these individual cases the research you've done and the conclusions and so on and so forth but uh i assume there are those skeptics out there who say hey you know what's the motive for this uh, why are they why are they uh, picking on uh, college age kids, uh, young men who go to bars or they're out there by themselves? How can this be possible? What 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 is the uh, what is the motive? What is what is the benefit from doing this? Or is it just uh, somebody or a group of people who have uh, decided that they enjoy murdering people or whatever? I suppose that's what would be said. How, how do you address that? It is strange. The motive is an open question. And I try to explain that in the kind of offender typology section in my book of people who've drugged young men and murdered people. There's been other serial killers who've targeted men in bars. And so the motive may be homosexual, but it almost may be just like what you said, like uh, sport killing. Um, there may be, there's no financial motive. That's one thing that's absent is nobody seems to like be running their credit cards or doing anything like that. So there's no activity on that regard. But uh, also the, the idea that these are people in the prime of their life, there may be some sinister, strange motive. And I had a section about Igor Sarsky, who researches this kind of dark group, who, mm -hmm. like, one of the things to in their system of worldview is to find somebody and uh, murder them, basically. It's called the Order of Nine Angles. That's in their written document. Oh, called what? Order of Nine Angles. So oh, it's kind okay. of like a newer thing, like there's the Church of Satan or Temple of Set. Or the OTO. This is like its own kind of separate order, but very malevolent. There's very malevolent writing. And that may have be something to do with that. And the kind of this water is a symbol. I mean, we're getting into the occult. Like it's like a symbol of the underworld. And Typhon lives underneath there, the trident, who's uh, an enemy of God. So maybe those themes are involved in this. Uh, so I don't I don't think there may be multiple different groups and people using this MO. It's obviously not just one person, but mm -hmm. I, I think that these crimes started taking place exactly when the world was getting networked by the internet. And so, and people are able to travel much cheaper. So I think that those are important, important components as to why people are getting together and co committing this type of crime. And I think it goes to the motive is that they're on some website, message board, FetLife, something with really dark taste mm -hmm. and, and this is their target. Or target kind of thing. Sure. And I, I think that most women are very concerned about their safety at night and things like that. And these men, the victims are like 
you almost all of them to a T wandering around drunk 2 a.m. I have so many videos of these guys. Anthony mm -hmm. Urena, who was featured in that trailer, or uh, Seamus, uh, Seamus Gray. Like, they're just walking around at 2 a.m. drunk as a skunk. And so, like, maybe the predator is, is out there at the same time. And I've shown that. Like, if you look at uh, this guy covered in the offender typology, his name was Reynard Senega. He waited around to get up at 2 a.m. to go hunting for victims. Oh, like that thing was, yeah. And there's been other people, you know, other guys like that who, who haunted bars trying to pick up people like, uh, actually, Jeffrey Dahmer was like that. Mm -hmm. You you grazed over just a little bit, um, and I want to make sure our audience, I always try to ask questions I think they would ask. You just mentioned that it's it's young men, and it's not, at least not a flurry of young women, and that is, that is a good point that you made, that normally a lot, an awful lot of women are more careful uh, you know, they have the bravado, and, but they'll, they'll usually get in a pack or have at least somebody with them late at night when they're going out or whatever that way. Whereas men who think they're big, tough guys and everything else uh, just, just take off on their own and don't worry about where they're going, maybe a bad place in town or where there's no light or something like that. Thus, they're much more uh, possibly exposed uh, to those who, uh, for whatever reason in their mind, want to kill. Absolutely. I think there's something to do with that. Like there, it's almost like the Serengeti where like a predator is waiting for somebody to walk into their grasp, you know? So like, this is the guy who's drunk, not paying attention and won't remember too. So if they're drunk or maybe people have run into these people or if they've been drugged, like Gilbert and Gannon really traced these guys were getting drugged with GHB. And so they may not even remember. So this is kind of like a thought out, kind of a perfect crime in some ways that people are getting drugged. They may not even be, be know that they were that close to getting killed or something. Like they exactly. just met somebody strange, but they didn't know that this was a guy who may be a ser serial killer. Perfect example is this event that happened outside of TD Garden in Boston in November of 2022, fairly recently, where a guy was out by the river taking, he doesn't remember anything. He was uh, urinating got hit in the head, ended up getting finding out that he got hit in the head with a brick and was face down in the water. And somebody saw him and went out to get him. And during that time, there was somebody, a mystery person, and I cover it in a chapter in my book. Nobody asked this guy a question. He was the first person on the scene. And okay. nobody asked him what his name was, why he was there, how he found the body. So this may have been an event, an event where that would have been another mystery victim, right? But people weren't thinking on those terms of like something malevolent or sinister was happening. So that person could have been a key to yeah. unlocking the entire network. Like That's what I'm thinking. That, that that could have been the uh, the trigger point to connecting all of this. Uh, so let's get to it. And I, I want to uh, talk about a little bit your conclusion at the end too. But are you uh, are you optimistic that at some point uh, there may be a break, real breakthrough with this? That there could be, you know. Many times, my experience was when I was a criminal defense lawyer, there are those, um, those uh, uh, deviates, those uh, killers, those whatever you want to call them, that at some point want recognition for what they've done. Uh, do, you, do you feel like there's any possibility at some point that there'll be uh, an individual who will come forward and say, you know, yes, okay, I, I, I need to get this off my chest. I, wanna, uh, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven somehow or another. So I want to get this off my chest. I was in Houston when this happened. I was in Boston when this happened, or New York. Do you, 
Are you optimistic that that could ever happen, William? Something like that may happen. I mean, it's happened in other serial killing cases. Like, people didn't know this guy was killing multiple people uh -huh. until he got caught for one. So maybe that's the case. I think I'm optimistic as the word gets out, as more people kind of know about this phenomenon. It's really blown up on social media in Chicago and because of the events in Chicago and Austin. So a lot of people are like, oh, wow, this is the Smiley Face Ghost. A lot of kind of famous people have looked into it or mentioned it. So I think mm -hmm. the people know of this phenomenon. So I think they'll maybe on the lookout and be more mm -hmm. uh, aware of their surroundings. And maybe something will happen. Like there's been people who've been drugged and not died. There's probably like three or four. Well, there's there's an epidemic of drugging that goes on in some of these major urban areas. But there's mm -hmm. people who've been like drugged and been found in water or near water or drugged. Like Christian Pugh in um, Austin was drug he didn't know what happened to him for 60 hours like that's how much drugs he was in the system so i'm optimistic that if people are watching out and being concerned and understanding that this phenomenon is happening their lives will be saved and maybe uh, perpetrators or somebody doing this you know will come to the attention of the authorities yeah you know uh dorothy kilgallen always looked for a harp on it but she was such a good investigator with a nose for the truth you know, she, she uh, covered the Dr. Sam Shepard case, which became the Fugitive movie, Lindbergh baby kidnapping case, you know, the Jack Ruby, the JFK assassination, all that. She was always looking, as I tried to do when I was a criminal defense lawyer, for those, those clues that connect or that don't make sense or whatever it is. I would assume the audience is wondering, you know, there has to be something made of the fact that these bodies were found in shallow water which means, don't you think, that for whatever reason, whoever did that wanted those bodies to be found because nor normally, what or not normally, but what happens a great deal is you tie a cement block to the body and throw it in the deepest part of the river. But in this situation, uh, the, a commonality, right, is the shallow water. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like maybe they do want the body to be found. or I think that that's the whole thing is that then it can be chalked up to an accident, right? So like we never disappears. Uh, yes, I think maybe that's part of the thought process is, from them is like, hey, let's just put them in there. Hopefully they'll just say an accidental drowning and we're scot-free. We've done what that. I think that that happened to a lot. Like the Tommy Booth case is really remarkable. That's one of the cases that I set aside in its own section because he's a found in a previously searched place eight days later in like six inches of water. Like it just doesn't make sense. You know, they probably, I think the police chalked that up to accidental drowning. It's crazy. Would you uh, chronicle for the for the audience uh, uh, the connection with o o the Obama family? Right. So there was just something that happened this year, which was the uh, finding of a body. His name, he was the cook. His name was Tafari Campbell. He was a longtime cook. He was at um, Martha's Vineyard, actually, interestingly, pretty close to where the whole... Uh, uh, incident with Mary Jo Kopechny happened, actually, which is another oh. suspicious event, yeah. But anyway, he was supposedly out on an evening, late and fairly late at night, six or seven in the evening, according to what the report said. He was out paddleboarding and supposedly slipped underwater in eight feet of water and drowned. But it's very suspicious, the story that came out, like, why wasn't he attached to the... Almost every paddleboard has a ankle sure. uh, the, uh, cord. So well, how did he, and that's the reason for the ankle cord, so that if you fall in the water, you can grab your paddleboard, which is a flotation device. So why isn't that attached? The story is very suspicious. And uh, 
there were conflicting reports of whether Obama was out there, whether he was actually at Martha's Vineyard, where his kids were. But he has a very nice place there, Martha's Vineyard, like a $12 million. Uh, yeah, I don't know about you, but I haven't been invited uh, to that. I haven't either. I've never been there. Out there but it uh, is interesting. It's just a very suspicious, interesting story. There's pictures of Tafari Campbell, uh, videos on social media of him swimming laps. So he seems to be a competent swimmer. Yeah, that's another thing. An awful lot of these victims were good swimmers, weren't they? And, yeah, and yeah. right? But Athletic. they're in great shape. Like yeah. they're athletes who could probably swim for miles. Like, like these are like uh, Chris Jenkins was a college athlete. Dakota James was the head of his swim team. Like, yeah, yeah. Doesn't doesn't match up. Like you would, and the, why, that's one of the interesting things about the victims is there's all, they're almost all healthy. Like there's all, very few like stories of like okay, Joe's like a three hundred pound you know uh -huh. donut. There's almost none of those types of victims. Like somebody who's overweight. Really, there's very few. I can think of offhand, which is also kind of strange. And I think Gilbertson has actually noted that that the BMIs of the victims are skewed towards skinnier. So like the standard male is I don't know what the BMI is, but mm -hmm. he, mm -hmm. he made that observation. I think he actually stated that on the Doctor Phil show. I'd suggest that your uh, your readers obviously uh, purchase a copy of the Smiley Face Killers. Uh, and and even to begin with, you can you can go to the back where your conclusion is, which just hit me right away when I read it. Uh, all of these cases happened at night. The person disappeared. No one saw them enter the water. That's an interesting one for sure. And they were found in water later, often in places previously searched by experts. And I would add in shallow water. So and then you you go into kind of a, an analysis based on your research. Um, I'm convinced these cases represent the most important cases of serial murder in American history. Based on all my research, I believe there are individuals or group carrying out these crimes and women may be involved and so on and so forth that way until law enforcement and the public become more aware of this uh, smiley face killer phenomenon. There will be more of this type of perfect crime in the future. So you are hoping, and I hope you've gotten some, some uh, media visibility for this, that there will be, uh, you know, more investigations of what happened, especially if there are new cases that parallel some of these, but also that even perhaps there could be some warnings, um, you know, made to uh, people, uh, young men, especially of college age, you know, hey, you're, you think you're a big shot and you're muscular and you can take care of yourself, but this is what can happen to you if you go to the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, I hope the word gets out. I really do. I hope these people, there has been, since I published the book, there was another, another suspicious death in Chicago of a guy from India. His name was Sumath Matty, and he fit all the same things, disappeared, later found in water. And actually, it was very strange because the uh, public uh, media avoided saying where the cause of death and where he was found. It was very hard to find out that he was found in water. So it seems like it was almost like a cover-up, like they didn't want to explain like hey this guy was found in water and fit the sfk to to kind of keep the public from getting too worked up but yeah soon with maddie you can look that up and then matthew perry was very strange death if you remember he's the star of friends but yeah. he was found uh, dead in water and on his twitter feed for like three years was him cuddling a picture of his of a smiley face pillow it's so strong oh come on no i'm not kidding i'll show it to you it's off the is chart. that right yeah it's really true it's really incredible. Well, I, I, I will be very surprised if the truth ever comes out about that because 
uh, I, I'm very suspect that the authorities will do much of an investigation. And if they do find uh, certain information they think the public uh, should know, it will never it will never surface. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's just something very underground and suspicious or something like that. But that's oh, very You can go to his Twitter feed right now. I think he has like 1.2 million followers, like something crazy. But that's literally still on his Twitter feed right there. But why haven't I heard about that in the mainstream media? Good question. I mean, there, there seems to be something where they don't want to like reveal all this. And I think some people, they don't want to scare the public. I think that's very much it. I think there's a lot of money involved in these college towns. They're mostly all schools uh, with colleges and things like that. So it would disincentivize people of sending their kids to some of these schools. If they knew how many people were dying, like in Minnesota, oh, yeah. Minneapolis is just a hot spot. Like you're, there's, a, there's a potential your kid could end up dead. Like they don't want that to get out. I, th I would assume that that would be the case. But yeah. Well, the name of the book is The Smiley Face Killers. He'll, he'll put that uh, cover back up. I would uh, strongly suggest you you read this book and then get in touch with uh, with Mr. Ramsey. Uh, the the research is first class and uh, it, it's a shocking book. There's no question about that. It, it it will shock you in terms of what's happened with a with what you could call a mass murder. I mean, of, of all of these individuals who were doing nothing wrong, had a whole great life ahead of themselves, and uh, and were killed. Uh, William, would you give me your uh, email address uh, if you if you wish, so people can get in touch with you? Yeah, it's just William Ramsey investigates at gmail.com. If people want to reach out to me, the book's available on Amazon, Kindle, and our, uh, paperback. And they can buy signed copies from my website, William Ramsey Investigates. And uh, how can they find your uh, William Ramsey Investigates uh, podcast? Yeah, you can just type it into any, any podcast distributor, iTunes or Google or um, anywhere. You just type in William Ramsey Investigates and it should just pop up. It's usually, you know, I'm, I've finished. Over a thousand episodes and just kind of barreling forward still. I think it's actually a thousand sixty now. So and, and how about links to uh your documentaries? Just documentaries are on Vimeo and you can actually go to my Patreon and I have all my documentaries there and you can watch those. You can I have no them. idea what a Patreon is, but uh that sounds like a good possibility. Patreon is kind of like a public support. So if people like my work, they pay money and then they can see some of my work that's on Patreon that Maybe. I like that word, Patreon. Hey, thank you so much for uh, being uh, a guest on my podcast, and hopefully people will uh, watch it or listen to it and uh, find out more about your uh, book. You're a good man, and I uh, enjoy our friendship, that's for sure. Thank you, William. Thank you, Mark. Great to talk with you again. Thanks for having me. All right, let me end the stream. Okay.